You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. A reading from the book of Exodus 34, 29 to 35. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, and he came down from the mountain... Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel sought Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near And he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, and the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. The word of the Lord. And then Luke chapter 9. Now about eight days after these things, and I will tell you what these things are. These things are Jesus saying to his disciples, you have to take up your cross and follow me. And that's key. That's what comes just before this in Luke. So after Jesus says... The way that we're going to heal the world is by taking up our cross and following me. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took Peter, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure or a better word for that is spoke of his exodus which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting, as the experience was about to end, as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Not knowing what he said. So much of my life is not knowing what I said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Imagine a world where people see stuff and don't post. I don't believe it. I believe in the virgin birth, but I don't believe that happened. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. 
But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father, and all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, and then I'm just going to actually pause there for a moment. The word of the Lord. So what God has, oh, I'm so thrown that you guys are sitting over there. Like, I feel like my whole world has just come to a crashing halt. The Demetriuses are over here. I can't go on. I don't know what to do right now. I feel dizzy. No. What God is looking for over the next six or seven weeks is he's looking for us to be free for what he's doing next in the earth. He's looking for us to be free for what he's doing next in the earth. You're going to hear this quote often during Lent, but uh, Willie James Jennings said, we are like people in groups, but we are groups filled with chains. And the only way to break chains is not better programs or more willpower. It's holy desire. A new desire will set us free. If we're bound in the external through war and racism, that bondage is coming from desires that are completely amiss. And those desires that are completely amiss are coming from the powers and principalities causing us to lust after blessing, but attain it in a way that is over against somebody else. The reason why we will be more than conquerors one day is because right now, winning has to have somebody who lost. But there will be a time in Christ, and most of us us experience this in T-ball, where we'll win just because God said we won. And no one would have had to have lost for that to be true. And that response is why we need new holy desire. Because we can only think about elevating by moving up comparatively. We can only think about promotion by someone else either being demoted or not getting it. We can only think about getting rich because somebody else is getting poor. Take your head out of the sand. That's how it works right now. No matter what we want to say, that is how it works. There's mega poor because there's mega rich. And one day, we're going to be able to live well without somebody else having to live poorly for that to happen. And it starts now with holy desire. We need to be free for what God has next. One of, one of the many bishops that God has put into my life, and I have far too many right now. It's like a game of chess, and I have no idea what's happening. <laughs> One of them, whenever Bishop Mike Owen calls you, you have to say to yourself, do I have two and a half hours to answer? There's two people in my life like that, Bishop Mike Owen and Dale Van Steenis. When they call, you're like, okay, do I have time to take a vacation so I can have this conversation? And Bishop Mike and I were talking, and he said to me, you know, we used to be a Christian world. Then we became a post Christian world. And he said, I'm glad to say, and if he was hearing me say this, I'm sure he'd be like, it's not exactly how I said it, but I don't think I've ever told a true story once when I was preaching, so it doesn't make a difference. (laughs) 
he said this, and this he did say. He said, I'm glad I can say that now we've become a pre-Christian world once again. And Christianity is ready to roll out anew and afresh. We're back to the book of Acts. But that means that the Christianity that got us here is not the Christianity that's going to get the world the next place it has to go. We have to let go of things. We have to appreciate what got us here, just like Paul appreciates the law, but he also sees how Christ fulfilled it and then giving a whole new context to what it means. We have to follow in his footsteps of not rejecting that law, but seeing what the touch of God does to it and how it has new and different implications than it ever has had before. That is your whole New Testament. You don't need to read it this year. I just told you what it's about. We need to be free. We need to be free. One of the, way, one of the ways that I've committed to preaching is by making sure that when I talk to any of you, I re- and you've heard me say this before, I recognize that I'm also talking to a member of the body of Christ, which means that whenever one of you speak to me, it's very possible, what are you two doing in the front? What's happening today? Annie and Alan are here. Mike, I'm so confused. I feel like I'm going to wake up from a dream, and that amazing worship service, I'm going to have to do it again. What's happening? Anyway, new things. Don't quote me back to me ever again. No one is allowed to do that to a pastor. I also believe that when the children in this house speak, it's also the voice of Christ speaking to us. Yeah. And man, they just, they tell it like it is. So Savannah Cairo drew this picture of me recently. And this is all going somewhere, so everybody bear with us. Let's kill some lights. She drew this picture of me. I look like I have it together, kind of. It says, don't forget to pack. Someone's paying attention to the sermon. I'm saying love the God, the one true God. And I appreciated this because of what Robert Cotto drew also. So I appreciate Savannah because that's more like, I feel like, how I really am in real life. You know, on social media, there's the whole how it started and how it's going thing. Go back to how it started. Like, July of 2017, we got this, and now to how it's going. Help! Like, that's... (laughs) One foot is larger than the other, and I'm taller than trees. Help! Like, however, oh, the boot. He drew the boot. Clever little children. Why is this important? Because they both wrote, don't forget to pack. So let me hear the voice of Christ and remind us, because we are series-oriented people. We are binge-watch a series people, and then we move on to the next one. But in church, with me preaching, the first series that I preach for the year is the only series I preach for the year and unpack it for the next 48 Sundays. And so don't forget to pack the children out of the mouth of babes. They're reminding us that what God is inviting us into is to remember that the Spirit meant to make us healthy, will help us to be people who are, one, self-aware. Remember, we packed the mirror. Self-awareness, not self-denial, not denial of what's happening in the world. True and honest self-awareness. We packed an empty suitcase to remind ourselves that the emptiness we feel in our life is designed by God to be filled by somebody who's not like us. 
Not somebody that you're comfortable with. Somebody that brings different things, different culture, different words, different foods, different ideas. God forbid different views on the same topic. Again, we are not a cult. We have different views about the same thing here at Salem Tabernacle. Somebody pulled up in front of our church. This is going to get everybody all riled up, but it's one of the best. It made me so happy. Somebody pulled up in front of our church and asked Grady, does this church believe in tongues as the primary evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And Grady boldly and rightly said, some of us do. <laughs> and they went, boo. <laughs> right. Go find a cult. We're actually human here. We believe different things about the same things. So if you're feeling empty, God is inviting you. He's inviting you to bring your emptiness to somebody who's not like you. And I will say this. He loves you so much that he will let you remain feeling empty until you obey this. Because you will never be your truest self until people who are different than you contribute to what you believe and to who you are as a person. We packed serving bowls. Remember, they weren't throw-up bowls for the journey. They were, and God help us, this journey's already been crazy. But we brought serving bowls because we're supposed to serve. And we also brought a 2023 calendar because we're not just here to develop fruit so that we can eat from it. We are here to leave our children a church that is better than the one we just worshipped in just now. I'm going to wait for an applause for our children. With that said, and this is one of my favorite pictures of all time, Levi drew a picture of what it looks like when Jesus prays. Like, I love this. Because in this picture, Jesus looks like the president after eight years. You know those before and afters they do? Like, Jesus tired in this picture. Like, his hair's gray. His hairline's worse than mine. We're running away or whatever. And what I, when I saw this picture, I laughed because I just feel like, Jesus, I'm so, I cannot believe you're still in this. Like, you must be exhausted sometimes with just our church. Just Salem must make Jesus go crazy. Like, Jesus is probably like, nobody pray for two minutes. I just need me time for a second, and then I'm coming back. But what I also love about this picture is the space in between Jesus and the person is the space where the Holy Spirit resides, and that's where we either succeed or fail. Jesus presents us with a decision and graces us to make it. But there's something about the divine wisdom of God that wants us to be able to reach out. And it's a tiny little space. But Lent exists in that space. If we are healthy, we fill that space with embrace. If we're not healthy, we push back and say, God, you have to keep coming to me on my terms. Make things the way I want them to be. I'm about to talk about this in a second. And then Stephen Saldana drew a wonderful picture you have that one? Yeah. This picture's cool because in so much religious art in history, there's always an eye level point where things above it and things below it are antithesis of each other. Uh, eye level is important. Has anybody ever stood online at the supermarket with young children? 
those geniuses that put the Pez here. I hate them, and I hope they get saved because they need Jesus and also chastisement. But then they put like Time Magazine here, and I'm like, oh, $17 later. Below is your root system. Above is the result of your root system, and Lent exists right at that line. Lent is God's invitation for you to dig down into yourself and see what kind of gardening has to happen down there. If we can't dig way down, we cannot grow way up very well. Simple. We're, we're talking about kids' pictures here, but that's actually unbelievably complicated what I said. People will say, Pastor, go deeper than that. You, can't, you cannot do, I cannot do what I just said. Simple message, love your neighbor as yourself. How you doing? You love, does your neighbor even know who you are, let alone loving them as yourself? Some of these things are very complicated. Digging down. Some of us want to say that I got saved, I made a lot of mistakes in my life, and now I'm saved, and so there's no reason to bring that back up again, and nothing could be more wrong than that, because we are saved by grace from the consequences relationally with God for these mistakes. However, these roots that we planted down here, they affect who we are quite naturally way over here in our life, right? Like, junk from decisions I've made, just because I'm forgiven doesn't mean that God disrespects the validity of what I've done. See, listen to me, Salem. God respects our humanity so much that what we do matters. And we love the front side of that sermon. You matter. What you do matters. Your life matters. You're not insignificant. You're not a face in the crowd. You are a king and queen in the kingdom of God doing king and queen kind of stuff. But the other side of that, the back side of that, if you will is what we do matters. And so when we sin, it affects the world, then it affects our soul because God loves us. And so it's not that I need to go back to the guilt and shame, but there's rewiring that needs to be done in my life. And Lent invites me into a God who can say, lay down and rest while I perform some surgery here. Why do we need Lent for that? Why can't we just do that? You want to know why we can't just do that on our own? Because we're not narcissistic. We don't do Holy Spirit things on our own personal terms. We join God's movement from his spirit through the church and say, this is when the church is celebrating Lent, and it's a chance for us not to be holy narcissists. I don't need Lent. I know how to, the Holy Spirit, good, do that, but also do this. My mother-in-law had a very healthy way of having her children eat what they didn't want to eat. She called it, you have to have a no thank you portion. Here's green beans. I don't want green beans. Well, here's a no thank you portion of green beans. If you love Lent, dive right in with me. If you don't, please have a no thank you portion of Lent. Before we get into this text, and when I say very briefly, it's intentional. In 2014, I'm going to be very transparent. In 2014, I had sort of a breakthrough 
in my life and had one of the best summers I've ever had. I see Jacqueline standing out there with our baby, Theodore, who's adorable from here. She might not think he's super adorable at the moment, but he is from here. It was just me and Jacqueline. I got a job in Fishkill for Allstate Insurance Company, and I was no longer traveling an hour and a half both ways to work. Do I have any commuters in the room? Cottos, you guys know what it's like to back and forth from the Bronx. And you used to come here to New Believers classes after working in the Bronx and coming here. That was impressive. Impressive. That's why your kids are such artists. You know what I'm saying? I didn't have to commute anymore. I had a job that felt like the kind of job I would make a career out of if the pastoring thing never happened. I made peace with pastoring thing never happening. I made peace with the reality that I'm going to pastor in whatever occupation God gives me. I'm going to stay within the limits and boundaries of the secular workplace but within that, I'm going to trust that God will give me a person from time to time, and we will have that kind. And I'm just going to, I'm going to do what he wants me to do wherever I am. And so much anxiety and so much control and so much manipulation literally in that summer just left my body. And I accepted life. Took my hands off. Started feeling better here. Worshiping free. Honoring, obeying, serving the leadership here without any strings attached at all. And we had that kind of summer where things just, the ball bounces in your direction. We would invite five or six people to a barbecue at Memorial Park. And next thing you know, we'd have 17 friends just showing up and having a wonderful time. Renegades games, day trips, the beach, Mystic, Connecticut. It was, everything just worked. Uh, A friend from Alabama came up here and started attending our church and... Luke and Molly Jenkins and me and Jacqueline, we became really good friends. And I basically hung out with Luke almost every day of the whole summer. Got sick of him by the end of the summer. You know, those friends where you're like, I love them so much. And then by August, you're like, they disgust me. I just can't take this anymore. But he doesn't disgust me. And if he's watching, which I doubt he is. But if he's watching, I love you, Luke. You're a good guy. And if you're watching, you're an even better guy. It was beautiful. The summer nights, cold spring ice cream, just, it was working. All the summer rolled into the fall, the fire pits, the apples, the crisp, the rakes, all that kind of stuff rolls right into crisp. It was just one of those summers where I just remember constantly saying to Jacqueline, we had this like spirit about us where we were just saying yes to stuff. You guys want to come over? Yes. You guys want to do this? Yes. Now, granted, we did not know in 2014 what we know now. Two kids changes all of that yes quite a bit. But we were, we were, Jacqueline was working here. I was working in Fishkill. I was, like, leaving the house at 8.30 in the morning and getting home by 4.45 in the afternoon, it, Monday through Friday. It was just dope. It was dope. It was a kick-butt summer. And in 2015, looking back, I had a great summer, but it wasn't 2014, and I was disappointed. And then 2016 went from 2014 being the best summer to 2015 being a little disappointing because it wasn't 2014 to 2016 being 
is there something wrong with us because we haven't been able to do it since 2014 to 2017 becoming the pastor here. And, whew, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All of a sudden, I'm a dad and a pastor, and even the thought of having another 2014, gone. 2014, oh my God, look at the sky, there's a sunset. Let's, let's, let's pour some wine and go for a walk and look at the sunset. With a kid, you're like, I don't even know if I'm awake. The house smells like poopies. I didn't know there was a sunset. When did it go down? It's back up. I didn't sleep. It changes, and then you have this realization, we can't go back there. And all of a sudden, the best summer becomes an indictment against you of you'll never have that again. That's what's happening in the text we read today. And this is the first part of healing that God wants. They had to cover the face of Moses because the Israelites were going to look at his face knowing that that glory was going to come to an end and shift to the glory of Christ. But they had to cover his face because God knew that they would idolize, worship that experience, and want to replicate it as much as they possibly can when God had more for them. So they hid his face because we have a tendency to worship our best Christian experience and then hold all of our future Christian experiences hostage to that one. We have a birthday that holds all of our other birthdays hostage. We have a Christmas, we have an event, we have a moment, we have a burst of romance in our marriage that holds all the other moments hostage, and we're always saying, why, what are we doing wrong? Why can't it be like that? And God starts to veil our memories because we are now beginning to hold our life hostage to the last best thing that happened. And it goes from being a holy memory to a pharaoh that's causing you to make bricks without straw and whipping you every time you don't add up to that moment. And in the process, missing. I was running the risk of actually being disappointed with my life when I got the job I always wanted to have and one of the most beautiful baby girls you could possibly imagine. If God didn't save me, I would have despised this and her. Because that force is strong. COVID saved it. Because I had to sit back. The world masked up. And what happened when we masked up? We actually had to start paying attention to each other's body language. And some could argue that masks have helped us see each other for the first time. Because now I'm not just paying attention to your mouth and knowing quickly what, who you are or what you're thinking. I have to look at your whole self. I had to look at my whole situation because God veiled some things. He masked up some things. And I had to look at my whole situation and say, I'm being held hostage by a three-month period of my life. But I knew right away as a priest that that's happening in my gut because it's happening all through this room. You all have moments spiritually, doctrinally, romantically, relationship-wise, that every moment since then is now being held up to that and will never match up. 
because God is moving on from those best experiences to different ones. And all of the best experiences we ever had, we never knew they were about to happen. I didn't know when Memorial Day of 2014 rolled around that this was about to be one of the best summers of my life. I had no idea. It happened because I wasn't trying to make it happen. Every time I've tried to make it happen since then, it hasn't happened. It's taken a broken foot, reconstructive surgery, and a pandemic to get me to realize, oh my gosh, I'm building Babel. But you know what? In the New Testament, this doesn't happen. That's only the Jewish people in the Old Testament. Wrong. Peter, up on the mountain. This is amazing. And it's about to end. Can we build some dwelling places so this moment can stay so I don't ever have to go to any other moments, please? Now, when they went down the mountain, they went down into the war. They went down into the not ideal. They went down into the grime. They went down into the demonic. They went down into reality in its broken, honest state. And they couldn't handle the evil they were confronted with. Because they were obsessed with what they saw up there, that they had no power in how to deal with what was happening here. Israel, so obsessed with Moses' face, failed in everything on those tablets he was holding in his hands. Peter, so obsessed with the Mount of Transfiguration that he runs scared from Mount Calvary. And so what does God do? He ends the Transfiguration to save Peter's life. Because if Peter keeps looking at this, he'll never see Jesus up there. If Peter gets it through his head that this Mount of Transfiguration is... See, the glory of Moses was shifting to the glory of Christ. But the glory of the Mount of Transfiguration was shifting to the glory of somebody with thorns in his head. If I'm obsessed with Moses, I'll never see Jesus transfigured. But if I'm obsessed with this experience, I will never see glory where it was always meant to be. And self-denying getting rid of your preferences, considering the interests of others above that of your own kind of love. I will never see glory in that. I'm telling you, Salem, so many of us are stuck on the Mount of Transfiguration, and the show has been over for a long time. And we're stuck because we all have a moment that we're holding all other moments up against, and we have to let go because the world needs us to be free for the next moment because glory is not the experience. Glory is the work of God in your life during any experience. You're ready for a word some old school people will love? I could preach on chastity right now. But never talk about sex. Because Jesus said, a wicked and an adulterous generation seeks after a... It's adulterous to want to replicate spiritual experience after spiritual experience. It's adulterous to be having an affair with a past moment and not being faithful to the moment that you're in right now. Oh my God. It's adulterous to have a relationship with a future moment and not be faithful to the moment that you're in or the moments that have passed. It's adulterous. We're cheating on the Holy Spirit every time we say, that was better than now. It's adulterous. Uh, Emma's.
when I see light shining, I feel relaxed, and I feel like it's going to be a good day. Instead of drawing a picture, I'm just going to write what I think the light means in 2022. Also, she drew a dope picture. I think in 2022, the light of the world shining into my life means that this is a new year and a new year to act better and to do good. I love the word this for us adults. I feel like this or it's going to be a good day. Lent is the it. Because right now, some of us are going to go home. Well, all of us are going to go home to a world that's not having a good day. Many of us are going to go home to a feeling over ourselves that isn't having a good day. Many of us are going to go home still haunted by a better moment from the past or the hope of a better moment in the future and despise the good day we're having now. But back in the day, we used to say things like, this is the day the Lord has made. And we would get excited when somebody said, this is the day the Lord has made. Church, I will rejoice. This is what we have to protect. The word this. Now. This moment. The one I'm in today. Lent has to untie some things in my life. So I can be, you ready? I said this on Wednesday night. So I can be fully who I really am and be fully and really honest about the moment I'm in. Because the Holy Spirit will only ever talk to who you really are and he will only ever talk to you about the moment that you're really in. So if you're pretending to be somebody else and you're acting like the moment isn't what it actually is, you will not hear from the Holy Spirit because he's always talking to your true self and your true moment, not the fabricated, polished one you've created for yourself. Listen to these quotes and then we're going to have communion together. As if you two haven't done enough already. John, would you please grace us with your playing presence in the house of God? I'm figuring out how to get you to move up here faster. You like word hugs. <laughs> I just hugged you with my words. Look how, fa look how fast you just got up here. All right. Can we be serious? I'm trying to be serious. Gregory of Nyssa said this, our godlike victory is hidden beneath curtains of shame. Our godlike victory is hidden behind curtains of shame. What happens to the curtain when Jesus is on the cross? It tears. But it only tears when you're willing to be stretched. The shame the disappointment that we feel over other moments and this moment not being like them, the shame, the frustration, the anger, the hurt, whatever it is that we feel, we feel it because we're not being torn and we're not being torn because we're giving in to the feeling and we're not letting God stretch us. And then another author I've recently been introduced to says this. This is a little bit of a longer quote, but boy, is it a healthy one. I'll read it. If we are relatively healthy, we, be, we befriend our fear, our shame, and our deficiency, and slowly become an integrated person. 
Please understand, accepting and befriending are not the same thing. I have to lean into my fear. I have to lean into my shame. I can't just do this fake thing that we said, just rebuke it. No, no, no. I have to call it closer because it has a part of me that is precious to God. And it's not enough to just say, I'm not going to be afraid. I declare that I won't be afraid. Because you know why? Sometimes fear is healthy and we might rebuke the wrong kind of fear. Is it good if I'm afraid every single time I get up to preach that I'm going to fail? No, that's not a good kind of fear. But is it a good kind of fear that I get up here every Sunday and say, God, how in the world do you rightly divide the word of God to people? See, there's a slight difference between I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail, and this job is so massive, I'm only looking to you, God. Because without you, there's nothing going to happen here. See, there's, a, there's, there's the kind of fear that is good and the kind of fear that is bad. It's good that my daughter doesn't want to run across the street. She should be afraid of the sound of the truck coming when she's going to let go of my hand and run. So we have to befriend it to find out what sort are you? Are you a good guy or a bad guy? And we can become an integrated person. If not healthy, we will flee from these emotions like threatening strangers, living instead from a contingent false self, polished and put together. But while this false self feels the momentary bliss in its detachment from the inner storm, it's not really free at all, but stuck on a never-ending hamster wheel, acting out the same script day after day after day. So many of us are running on the same hamster wheel, trying to recreate the same moment, have the same experience with God, dying to hear the same teaching, dying to have the same church experience, the same romantic experience. We're not accounting for growth. We're not accounting for children. We're not accounting for increased responsibility. We're not accounting for a pandemic and what it might mean moving forward. We just want things to get back to the way it was, and we're being held hostage. Salem, die to life before COVID. Because there will never be life again before COVID. It's going to be different, but it's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and it can be as good, if not better, moving forward than it's ever been before. But we have to let go of some things. Let's stand to our feet this morning. I invite you, I invite you to ask the Holy Spirit in this moment before the most holy sacrament of all the sacraments, Ask the Holy Spirit, what am I trying to replicate? What's holding me hostage from being honest with who I really am and the moment that I'm really in? God wants you to become friends with who you really are, whether that's completely put together or terrified. He wants you to befriend your actual self befriend the actual season of life that you're in and be free from having to fake like what's happening isn't really happening. The world needs us to leave here and face the next moment. Not, and Jacqueline's going to love this, not with annoying cheerfulness, but with a real human response. Be mad when you should be mad. Cry when it's right to cry. Ask for help when you really need it. These things sound like, Pastor, are you talking to a youth group? It gets so much harder as you get older to do anything that I just said. 
Kids are great at this. They don't need this sermon. We've gotten too old to ask for help. We've had too many experiences to want a new one. We know how things should be because we got life experience under our belt. We need to be honest. Some of you are hurting. Some of you feel shame. Some of you feel like you have failed. Some of you have lived behind this voice that says, I'm just, pastor, I'm just a bad, I'm just a rough person. All right? I'm just a rough person. And I'm like, I get it. I love the momentary honesty. But think better for yourself than that. You don't have to say that to me again next year. You can say, I'm a little bit less of a rough rough person next year. Don't just accept the things that are wrong. Don't feel like you're not a good parent or a good leader because you got to come to an altar and repent. Man, if we all went to somebody else's church and that pastor was like, who needs to get saved? You might just see me go up and be like, what is going on with our pastor right now? What has happened? Why is he up there? Why is he taking a new believers class? We have to be honest. When, when you, when, and listen to me, don't try to be honest. When the Holy Spirit invites you into real honesty, you will feel pain that you've been trying to avoid, but you will feel more free than you ever have in your entire life. Those two things are not enemies. You will feel pain. But the minute you feel pain, like my foot doctor, Dr. Richie, told me, once you're feeling pain, your foot is healing. If you don't feel pain, I'm not doing surgery on your foot. Because if your foot doesn't hurt, your foot is not going to heal. I said, brother, you are preach. Can you say that again? Can I quote you? They almost didn't do the surgery because I had nerve damage from the injury. And they said, if it doesn't hurt, it won't heal. You have to be honest. And it will hurt because then you'll start to have stuff called up. Stuff that you've been hiding from. Stuff that you don't really want to talk about. Stuff that makes you the arrogant person in the argument and not the other person. That's awful. But you will be free. And Satan has no real estate in a person that's free. When you are already saying before he can accuse you, I've already accused myself. I know what you're going to say. You can't tell me anything new. I've already brought it to the altar. I'm not hiding anymore. There's nothing he can uncover because all the blankets have been moved. All the curtains ripped. All the grime and nakedness exposed. And he just stands there voiceless because you've already brought before God anything he could ever say. And he's got nothing to ever accuse you of again. You will be free. Will it hurt? Yes. Will you have to enter into a healthy relationship with your deacons and elders and pastors? Of course. Will you need help working out all the stuff that comes tumbling out? You bet you will. And the older you are, the more complicated it'll be. We are here for you, and it will work, and you will be healed, and you will make it through, and you will feel free. Because that's what we do. And then the world can be introduced to people who don't deny reality. But just know how to say, my Redeemer lives, whether you understand that or not. That's my hope. That's my hope, and I'm clinging to it. Lord Jesus, on the night when you were betrayed, you were honest with who you really were. 
and you were honest with the moment you were really in. And you looked down at a meal that you had looked at for 30 years and you saw something new in the meal. You saw yourself. And you said, this is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you eat this bread, eat this bread in holy remembrance or in uniting with me. And after supper, you took the cup of wine and you looked at it and no more was it a memorial of the Passover lamb, but you saw yourself in it. And you said, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink this, drink this to be united to me. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would descend on this bread and this cup and make it for your people the body and blood of Jesus, the food and the drink of new and unending life in him, and sanctify us also, that we would rightly examine ourselves, be honest with ourselves, be honest in the moment, and allow you and your full life to speak to it so that we're not held hot, that we can see the beauty in every moment that passes. Because every moment of our life is the moment we've always been waiting for. Some of them hurt. Some of them are glorious. Some of them hurt. Some of them are exciting. All of them are glorious. And I pray that you'd open our eyes to the beauty in the ordinary so that we would stop working so darn hard to find it. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. While the worship team ministers to us one more time, would you partake with me this morning? Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.